This episode is brought to you by our sponsors and by listeners like you on Patreon. Bomba's vision is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas has designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. The Webb family over here has used them, and we love them. They're comfy, fun-looking, and come in family packs, which is awesome. I've never seen that before. I use my Bombas socks when I go on runs, and they're extremely comfortable. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. And the Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and perfect waist so they hang just right. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash purple rocket and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash purple rocket for 20% off. Bombas.com slash purple rocket. Parents, school's out, summer's here, and the kids are back at home with a lot of free time. Go wild with wonder this summer without school. Enroll in a fun, flexible learning experience with over 140,000 online classes and camps for every kid with any interest. Look, as a fellow parent, I get the pressure of finding something engaging and useful for our kids to do over the summer break. OutSchool can help keep them engaged and their minds stimulating their imaginations firing. They offer every kind of class you can imagine, from entrepreneurship to freestyle dancing to art, even magic lessons. There's something for kids of all ages, grades, and interests. We homeschool in the web house, and we plan to get Aurora and Cohen signed up with some out-school activities to keep them engaged in a fun way and help them explore their talents and maybe discover some new ones. Out-school will have your kids loving to learn and having fun doing it. Head over to outschool.com slash purple rocket and use code purple rocket to learn all about out-school summer programs and save $15 on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash purple rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. Outschool.com slash purple rocket code purple rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now, back to our show. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Space Train. Previously on Space Train, Doug and the cadets competed in a race against the Orion Riders, where they met a new friend, DJ Mixon McGruff. After winning the race, they headed through the Orion Pass, escorted by McGruff. But just as they were passing the planet Dobo, it shrunk before their very eyes. It would seem that a tiny ship approaching in the distance is to blame. And now for Episode 6. Jojo, Mijo, and the Little Things.
it just me, or is that ship getting bigger? Doug said, squinting at the silver object growing in the cockpit window. They all watched in awe as the stapler-shaped ship came into view. Clearly, it wasn't the tiny little vessel they thought it was only a moment ago. The illusion of its small size was merely due to how far it was at first sight. Now, up close, as it shadowed over them and eclipsed the nebula beyond, it was mammoth. It's definitely getting bigger, Lydia said, standing from her chair. Goro, please tell me you know what this is. Goro shook his metal head, his shiny mustache frowning over his screen mouth. I'm afraid I do. Only one exile would captain such an obnoxiously large craft such as this. Jojo Mijo. Dallas tossed his wavy brown hair out of his face and fed Blobby a square of chocolate. Did you say exile? he asked. Goro nodded. That's right. It looks like you're about to meet another class reject. He's a nasty little one. A Plutite, born and raised on Pluto. Which, as you all know, was once considered among the major planets in our solar system, the furthest major sphere of ice and rock from our sun, just past Neptune. But Pluto has since been demoted to a dwarf planet due to its size and the fact that it hasn't cleared all material in its orbit no longer considered part of the Big Boys Club. Which is understandable, of course, considering it's only one-sixth the size of our moon. As you can imagine, Jojo and the rest of the Plutites didn't take the news well. Jojo, in particular. He's been throwing a tantrum ever since, trying to prove that they're big enough to sit at the big kid table. What are our options? Doug asked. You tell me, Captain. Goro said. This is your crew, and you have our utmost confidence. Doug caught Lydia squirming a little. Clearly she had a problem with authority. Why couldn't she just give him a chance, Doug thought. She just told him that he wasn't doing that bad of a job. What? Doug asked her. How about you tell us what to do? Lydia looked caught off guard. No, Goro asked you. Yeah, but you still have a problem with that. I'm open to ideas. We're a team. Lydia hesitated, seeing if Doug was for real or if he was just trying to prove a point. Well, we... we could try to get that shrunken planet before he does. I agree, Doug said. Anyone have a problem with that? He looked over the room and no one objected. Retrieve the tiny world it is. Hold on, Goro interrupted. Before we set out on another mission, I want to stress the seriousness of what you're about to do. Every move you make against the class of exiles plunges you deeper into peril. The more you challenge them, the harder they'll hit back. My programming, which is rarely incorrect, tells me this may be too much too soon. So I want to give you all the opportunity to think it over before we move forward. There is still much to learn before taking on the Exile's full force. I'll give you each five minutes in your personal chambers to come to a decision. If you choose to leave, there is no shame in it. An escape pod with your name is waiting for you three cars past the train wreck room. They're ready to take you home at the push of a button. Your time starts now. Without further discussion, the cadets retired to their personal quarters. Doug didn't need the extra time to think. He knew what he wanted to do. 
This whole five-minute choice thing was wasting precious time. It did, though, give him a chance to think about how he'd snapped at Lydia. She was strong and independent. He liked that about her, and he could see why she wanted to make the big decisions. But she could be a little more understanding that being captain wasn't his choice in the first place. It's not like he ran for train president or something. After five long minutes, the group met back in the cockpit. When Doug entered the room, he saw Leo, Goro, and Lydia. Dallas's chair was empty. His stomach sank. Seriously? he said, looking at the others. He's not coming? Leo looked down at the controls in silence. Lydia looked like she was about to cry, her face flushed and her eyes wet. Doug wasn't sure how he felt about that. She looked extremely disappointed. I know he didn't really want to be here, Lydia said, but I thought he was really starting to enjoy it. A tear streaked down her freckled cheeks. She's crying, Doug thought. Would she have cried if his chair was empty? Probably not. She'd probably be bouncing up and down in his chair before he even got to his escape pod. Just then, they heard the toilet flush down the hall. Seconds later, in walked Dallas. Everyone stared at him in shock. Is it just me, or does it feel like you're going to get sucked out into space every time you flush that thing? He asked, pointing back to the bathroom with his thumb. Whoa, who died? Was it Goro? His battery died, didn't it? Goro sat up in his chair. Excuse me, I'm sitting right here. Do I look dead to you? I've got another 300 years left in me, thank you very much. Lydia quickly wiped her tears and tried to hide her flushed face. Cool your gears, Gorgor, I was just checking, Dallas insisted. Wait, you guys didn't think I was leaving, did you? I mean, I like y'all a little, but I'm sticking around for Blobby. And maybe those powdered train donuts in the Cosmic Cafe. They're ridiculous. Can we go now? Doug asked. Yes, please, answered Goro. He leaned in and pressed the intercom. Mr. McGruff, we are heading to retrieve the planet Dobo. His finger lifted from the button and waited. There was no response. He pressed it again. Mixin McGruff, are you there? Nothing but static sounded through the speaker. They looked out the window and couldn't see him. I thought I stopped hearing his music a while ago, Lydia said. Doug nodded to Leo, who sat at the controls. Then we're on our own. Go for it. Before the giant ship was upon them, Leo flew the space train up to the tiny floating planet outside. Then, using the exterior claw, he carefully grabbed the beach ball-sized world and pulled it on board. Once it was inside, the train shook, making the cadets fall off their chairs. As Doug started to lift himself back onto his feet, he got the surreal sensation that he was falling, like the time he jumped off a high rock into the water at Lake Beaumont. Only this time, when he felt it, his feet were already on the ground. A shadow filled the cockpit as their train was slowly engulfed by the massive ship. Leo tried to fly away, but he couldn't. Despite his best efforts, he was unable to regain control of the train. All systems had been put to sleep. The ship was pulled to a stop at a docking station. Doug looked out the cockpit window, amazed with the arena-sized hangar. 
When the space train's doors were opened, Lydia shrieked. Rats! Beady-eyed rodents marched in on two legs, carrying little zap spears and wearing denim jumpsuits. Doug grimaced at the odd creatures that looked like some weird little girl had dressed the rats in her basement in tiny jean Barbie outfits. The Jojo awaits, said a little chubby rat wearing jean shorts. Goro held out a hand to stop them. Before you go, he whispered, know this. Jojo Mijo does not like feeling small. So whatever you do, do not use the words little, small, tiny, miniature, compact. We get it, Doug interrupted. I'll stay here with the ship, Goro said. He looked at the rats. If that's all right with you. You can stay, said the chubby rat. But the Jojo wants to see the rest of the crew. Goro agreed, and the cadets followed the rodents out of the train and into the giant ship. As they walked behind their furry escorts, Doug kept marveling at the size of the rats. They had to be up to his knees, at least. And seeing them walk upright like humans, wearing jean clothes and talking, was unsettling. Now that he was thinking about it, it wasn't just the size of the rats that was making him feel small, but everything about the ship. The giant screens in the halls, the tall, wide marble corridors they walked through. Even the signs above the huge doors looked to be the size of a large dining table. Maybe Goro is underestimating the size of this Jojo character, Doug thought. Perhaps he's grown a tad since they last met. The rats led them through a grand banquet room lined with enormous glass columns, jungle-like ferns, and draped windows looking out over the stars and Orion Nebula. At the end of the room, they were stopped in front of towering French doors lit by torches. Welcome to Jurassic Park. Ba-na-na-na-na, ba-na-na-na-na, Dallas joked. Blobby jiggled on his shoulder, signaling a chuckle even though the creature had no idea what his master was talking about. A loud creak and moan echoed in the room as the door slowly swung open. Doug was waiting for Godzilla to come crashing through, but instead saw a small figure strutting into the room. All of them did their best not to stare at the man who stopped in front of them. He was small, but not tiny, probably a couple feet shorter than them. He had huge, blonde Elvis hair that waved like a tsunami above his forehead, which was split by a thick unibrow. Below the brow was the scowling face of a middle-aged man, and beneath that a denim jumpsuit, tight from his bulging muscles. A platinum belt buckle in the shape of the dwarf planet Pluto took up half his abdomen. This is not what I was expecting, said the man with a high-pitched lisp. The space train? This is what Clay Bogan was sending out a distress signal about? Ha! Of course! I should have known that block of mud couldn't handle a bunch of tiny little kitties. What do you want? Doug asked, feeling much more brave now that he was up close to the little man. Jojo's face reddened with fury. No one looks down on the Jojo. Hence the reason he'd hired clever rat people as his henchmen. Step back, boy! He hissed. If you don't watch your tone, you and your puny friends will be squished like ants. Capiche? Doug nodded, remembering Goro's warning.
Let's not play games, Jojo continued. You all know what I want. We don't know what you're talking about, Doug lied. Jojo ran two of his stubby little fingers across his unibrow. Fine, we'll play your game. I'll show you around. But I have a feeling that by the end of our tour, you'll give me what I want. The Jojo always gets what he wants. Strutting like a world champion boxer, Jojo led them through the French doors until they reached a large domed room. Doug caught his breath as they entered. The curved walls were lined with hundreds upon hundreds of glass cases. Each one housed a miniature world. It's beautiful, isn't it? Jojo said, crossing his short, beefy arms and marveling at his collection. It's taken me years to collect them. Tiny, aren't they? Poor little souls. Doug couldn't believe his eyes. All he could do was stare. They walked around the room, studying each glass case. One held a red planet the size of a basketball. It swirled with rust-colored clouds that flashed with tiny bolts of lightning. Itty-bitty dark specks moved on its surface. A small heat light above each world moved slowly on an axle, simulating a sun. On the dark side of some of the little balls, millions of little specks of light appeared. Jojo opened a glass case and poked his finger into a blue world, stirring it around. I like to mix things up. These guys haven't had a bad storm in a while. He flicked the water off his finger and closed the glass case before moving to the next one. With a smile, he took it out of its case and shook it with two hands. Every few seconds, he'd stop shaking it and peer into it as if it were a magic eight ball about to give him answers. Gotta shake things up a little. He laughed his weird hissy laugh. <laughs> the cadets looked at each other wide-eyed. Jojo treated them to a few such displays before stopping at an empty case at the far end of the room. A little plaque under it read, Dobo. Here we are, he said. Look at this lonely little case. He looked at the cadets, his thick unibrow bending and twitching like an angry blonde caterpillar. I know you have this planet. I watched you swoop in and take it before I got here. But it belongs to me. You can't have it, Lydia roared. Jojo grinned. Can't I? You don't think I could have shrunk you into oblivion if I wanted to? I only shrunk you to this size because I feared shrinking Dobo into nothing in the process. Where is the planet? Confused, the cadets examined themselves. Shrunk? Could that be? The more Doug thought about it, the more it made sense. Why the rats looked so big? Why the ship was especially huge? Why Doug had felt like he was falling when he was still on his feet? and why this puny man didn't seem as puny as Goro had let on. Doug clenched his jaw. You heard her. You can't have it, little man. Dallas raised his eyebrows. Oh, dude, you went there. Jojo fumed. His giant Elvis hairdo shook furiously. We'll see about that. He said. He pressed a button on a remote and the walls retracted back, revealing a larger room with a massive shrink ray bolted down to a platform. 
Shaped like a huge copper squirt gun, the ray pointed out the glass dome into the stars. One of the dots of light was getting bigger by the second, until its features became recognizable. Oh boy, said Dallas once the object filled the glass dome. It was Earth. Lydia's eyes closed and her face looked troubled, like she was having a bad dream. Jojo pressed another button on his remote and the shrink ray came alive, lights blinking, swiveling on its platform, taking aim at Earth. Jojo puffed out his chest. Give me Dobo and I'll leave you in your tiny little world alone, he said. Lydia opened her eyes and looked at Doug. He's lying, she whispered. If we give it to him, he'll still take Earth and shrink us into nothing. Then she smiled. But don't worry. We're not alone. Doug looked at her confused and then turned back to Jojo. Come and get it, he taunted. Search them, Jojo screamed. His little denim rats rushed the cadets with their zap spears pointed. Just as they were about to pounce, a booming sound stopped them in their tracks. One by one, they lifted their black sniffing noses to the air. It was music. The French doors kicked open, sending the jean-clad rats flying. Stepping through the doorway was a giant Mixon McGruff. He swaggered into the room wearing his shades and blaring his new mix from his boombox shoulder speakers. He shrugged his yellow jacket, hitting the bass. In one swift motion, he whipped out his rusty sound blasters, crossed his arms, and blasted the army of rats with his sound waves. Rats flew in every direction as he spun and shot the powerful tunes. Doug ducked, dodging a few flying rodents. Then he looked up at the giant Mixon McGruff, who clearly wasn't shrunken like the rest of them. Where have you been? Doug asked. McGruff blasted a leaping rat from the wall without looking. I left my good mix at home, he said. Mixon don't blast without the right tunes. Duck! Huh? Doug dropped to the ground and then looked behind him as McGruff took aim. During all the commotion, Jojo Mijo had crept up to the shrink ray and was taking aim at Earth. Bwow! A sound wave shot from McGruff's blaster and blew Jojo off his chair before he could pull the trigger. Taking only half the blow, Jojo struggled to his feet and then reached for an enormous blaster hidden behind the shrink ray. Prepare to taste this, you whoa! The heavy blaster made him lose his balance and fall over. The oversized weapon was far too big for him to hold, let alone aim. Those lousy twins, they sold me the wrong blaster. I'm too... I'm too small. Yes, you are, came a voice above him. Jojo looked up to see Dallas sitting behind the shrink ray that was now pointing down at him. Hasta la vista, baby, Dallas shouted. He pulled the trigger and... A pink laser zapped into Jojo, making him balloon before shrinking into a squealing little speck. Nice shot, Dallas, Susie cheered. She looked at him like he was Superman or something. Doug got to his feet and did his best not to look jealous. Yeah, not bad, dude. Dallas shrugged. It was Blobby's idea. Blobby smiled up at him and jiggled a little. Leo, think you can make that thing blow stuff up? Doug asked. 
Leo nodded and then quietly went to work on the shrink ray. Within a couple minutes, he had it completely reprogrammed. One by one, the cadets launched JoJo's collection of worlds back to their home coordinates found on the back of their name plaques. Once in position, Leo blasted them with a pink ray that made them grow back into their original size. The only planet left was Dobo. Doug and the cadets grabbed the little planet from the space train and launched it into its rightful place. As it dropped, Leo shot it like a clay pigeon, blowing it back to its original size. After that, all that was left to normalize was themselves. Leo calibrated the shrink ray to restore their height, taking extra care not to blow them into humongous human beings. Then, once all was as it should be, Leo pointed the shrink ray down at the ship's floor and set a timer. On their way out the door, Doug grabbed Jojo's oversized blaster as a souvenir. It would be a shame to leave such a thing behind. Running back through the giant halls, they exited the ship and zipped off in the space train just in time before Jojo Mijo's huge ship shrunk into nothing. Goro was thrilled to see them return in one piece. Oh, thank the stars. I was beginning to think you'd been turned into ants, he said. Here, everyone, take a seat. You won't believe all the messages I've been receiving. McGruff fixed his popped yellow collar. I'd love to stay with y'all, but I've got some DJ gigs I can't afford to miss. Let me just say, you kids blow my mind. And that's saying a lot for a brain that's sitting between two speakers. He smiled at them. See you at your next race, suckers. After being thanked several times for his help, he climbed atop his hoverbike and sped off into the stars. The cadets sat in the cockpit as Goro played them recorded messages of praise and gratitude from all the planets they'd saved. Dobo's message was the longest, five straight minutes of cries, cheers, and shouts of joy. They sat back and listened as the various leaders from the Blue Planet thanked them in several languages. Outside the space train, an itty-bitty escape pod the size of a grain of rice slowly floated through space. Inside, a tiny Jojo Mijo chuckled maniacally, his squeaky laughs only heard by himself. <laughs> then, vroom! The space train blasted off, its jet fans blowing Jojo's pod into oblivion. Hey there, Rocketeers. How'd you like that name, Jojo Mijo? Try saying that ten times fast. Jojo Mijo, Jojo Mijo, Jojo Mijo, Jojo Mijo, Jojo Mijo, Jojo Mijo, Jojo Mijo. That was pretty good, I'm not gonna lie. Don't ask me where that name came from, because I couldn't tell you. Did you guys catch that little bit about Pluto? You know, it wasn't that long ago that we were taught that Pluto was one of the nine planets in our solar system. From the closest to the sun, it went Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and then Pluto. 
Pluto was discovered by the Lowell Observatory, a really big telescope, in Flagstaff, Arizona in 1915. Flagstaff isn't too far from my hometown of Gilbert, Arizona, where I grew up. I used to go to Flagstaff all the time with my family. In 2005, astronomers discovered a dwarf planet called Aries that was much bigger than Pluto. So that brought Pluto's title of planet into question. In 2006, the International Astronomical Union defined the term planet, which excluded Pluto and instead gave it the title of dwarf planet. A planet is defined as a celestial object that orbits around a star. So our planet, Earth, orbits around the sun, which is our star. Planets must also have sufficient mass to give it a spherical shape, or make it round, and it has to clear the material around its orbit. The only difference between regular planets and dwarf planets is that dwarf planets haven't cleared the area of material surrounding them. So, as you can imagine, Pluto could use a little extra love right now. Go look him up. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Space Train, which is a production of the Purple Rocket Podcast. Join us next Monday for an all-new episode. This is your host, Greg Webb.